We're going to go to two places quickly, 2 Samuel chapter 4. But before we do, Tiana, can you give them that verse from Leviticus? Leviticus speaks to the different laws and the, uh, the different effects and implementation of, them, of the laws that God has put forward for the Jewish people. I want to encourage you real quick, if, if you are, are going to read the Bible, you probably don't want to start in Leviticus, okay? Uh, I'm not saying not to read it, I'm just saying you probably don't want to start there. Now, if you're wondering why, well, then go ahead and read it and you'll find out why. It pertains to the, the law itself, Reverend, and, and, and the law, how it's perfect in and of itself, because God is perfect. But there, there's so many requirements and, and things in place that, that uh, even current Jews no longer practice. But this in particular is still part of, of their practice, and it's found in Leviticus 16, and, and God is speaking here, and he's saying, because on this day of atonement, on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So the day of atonement is that day where God is letting us know, I will cleanse you. The day where God is letting us know, I will purify you from every one of your sins. I will do this, this is what God is saying. Atonement, it's a, it's a theological term, it's a biblical term, it's one we don't use very often, but here's just the meaning of atonement. It just simply means to appease or to forgive or to pardon or to purge or to cancel out or, or even to, to, to cover. It's just like this, this poor guy here who, who, whose keyboard clearly was, uh, uh, had a mind of its own. And uh, in that moment, he, he, he re- I, I need someone to cover me. Okay? I, I need someone to forgive me. I, I need someone to pardon me for the mistake that I, I just made. So let me, let me illustrate this. Maybe I can illustrate this in a way. Does anybody happen to have $100 on them? Anybody happen to have $100 on them? Anybody happen to have $100? You're, you're laughing because you, you, you have $100 on you. Do you mind coming here for just a moment? Come on up here. Come on over here. Is, is, is Esmeralda, is that Esmeralda? Esmeralda, come here, Esmeralda. Come here. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sorry to do this to you. Come and bring your whole person. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it for Esmeralda. Forgive me, I was assuming it was you. Okay, okay. you have $100? An actual Benjamin in her hand, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. I actually just need to exchange with you, okay? So I'm gonna, I've got 20s here, and you've got 100s. We're just going to exchange, okay? All right. Let's see. Okay, there we go. Thank you. And... Did I shortchange you? Yeah, missing a 20, because, because I said we'd have an even exchange, and I shortchanged you. Has life ever shortchanged you? Have relationships ever shortchanged you? Have Christians ever shortchanged you? Has God ever shortchanged you? Because I know this in life, people are always going to shortchange us. Things are always going to happen in life where we get shortchanged. But I serve a God that makes sure we have everything we need and then some. Because that's who he is. He is a God who never shortchanges us in any circumstance. I need somebody to take a moment right now and just help me praise this God. Who, who is unlike anyone else in my life. Who treats me better than anyone else in this life. I need somebody to just let everyone around you know. I've got a God who has never let me down. Never failed. When he says, give me this and I'll give you greater in return. He always does what he says he's going to do. He doesn't shortchange me. He doesn't come up short. He doesn't need to ask for forgiveness. Esmeralda, if I had just given you $80 and sent you on your way, I would have had to ask you to forgive me because I, I said, let's exchange. And instead, what I did is I shortchanged. Humans do this to each other. A need then for a Yom Kippur. A need, therefore, for a day of atonement. A need, therefore, for me to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. 
forgive me for how I have shortchanged you. I want to show you something here in Scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 4 about a man who was shortchanged. And you might, you might know this story, if, maybe if I've preached this text different times throughout the course of, of my time as a pastor, but 2 Samuel chapter 4, just one verse here. It tells that Saul's son, Jonathan, so King Saul, Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had a son named, here we go, Mephibosheth. If Pastor Bethel had any more kids, this would probably be his fifth kid's name, right? This would be, this would, this would be, a, this would be kid number five. Okay. They, they love those, those, those biblical names. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was crippled as a child. Now, now here's why. Now we're going we're gonna to begin to understand why he was crippled. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul, the king, and Jonathan, the prince, had been killed in battle. So he's five years old when he finds out that his grandfather and father are dead. And then he goes on to say this. It says, when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, check this out, she dropped him. And he became crippled. So here we have this, this man, Mephibosheth, a man who was born into royalty, a man who was destined one day to, to take the throne. His father is, is obviously the prince. He'll take over for, for Saul one day. And, and now Mephibosheth is going to take over for, for Jonathan one day. So he, he's in line to, to take over the throne. And the Bible tells us that as the grandson of the king, he's got a bright future ahead of him. In fact, his name actually means, Mephibosheth's name actually means the shame destroyer. What a powerful name. Okay? The shame destroyer. But the day that his grandfather and father are killed in battle is the same day that he was dropped and crippled for the rest of his life. The same day he loses the throne is the same day he loses his ability to walk. The same day everything changes in his life this day. Now, I, just, I, I guess... I want you to notice with me, because what it says there in that verse is that his condition, his, the fact that he was crippled, it was the product of someone else's failure. Okay? He didn't fall. His nurse fell. This was her fault. She was the cause of his condition. She was the cause of the shame breaker's shame. It was on her. Now, I don't want you to miss the fact that I know she was trying to save his life. I mean, she had good intentions, but she still dropped him anyway. Come on, somebody. Have you ever had somebody like that, good intentions? Somebody you trusted, but they still dropped you anyway? Uh, uh, I, I want to talk to the people in this room that have been dropped. Can I kind of speak to the people in this room that you could have been someone else, but you got dropped. You should have been someone else, but you got dropped. There was a different purpose or a, a different plan for your life, and, and you could have been, should have been, would have been somebody different, but you got dropped along the way. And let's be truthful. Some people drop us on accident. And some people drop us on purpose. But I'm speaking to the people who have been dropped. And you're sitting here today. And you've been damaged for years. And you've been traumatized for years. And you've been broken for years. And you've been crying tears for years. And it isn't your fault. Mephibosheth. Now crippled. Not just physically. But mentally. Emotionally. Relationally. His purpose has been crippled in life. His self-esteem has been crippled because of a fall. 
this thought, I'm, I, I, I'm reminded that all of humanity has been crippled because of a fall. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fell. It's known as the fall. And because of the fall, all of us are fallen. We all fall into sin. We all fall short of God's glory. We are the byproduct of Adam's shame, of Adam's sin. The, this is how we live, a part of the fall. And many of you today, you are crippled by fear and depression and anger and abuse and addiction and lack and death. But it wasn't your fault. Someone else dropped you. But I've got good news for you today. Just like Mephibosheth, you are actually on the mind of the king. 2 Samuel 9. Now King David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan? Could you just poke somebody and just let them know the king's got you on his mind? Is there anybody I can show kindness for, for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. And Ziba said to the king, verse 3, he said, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both his feet. I, I just came to tell you today, just like there was a day when somebody dropped us, there is a day when an anointed king is going to come and pick us back up again. I, I love how Paul said it in Romans chapter 5. He said, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I need somebody who's grateful just to throw up your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. Ooh. All right, let me keep going. Verse, verse 4. So the king, David, said to Ziba, he said, well, where is Mephibosheth? And he said, in a place called Lodabar, at the home of, of Machir. So David sent for Mephibosheth, or I like the King James Rev. He fetched him out of the house. Verse 6 says, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, now check this out. This is how I know he was crippled mentally and emotionally. He bows low to the ground in deep respect. And David says, greetings. And Mephibosheth says, I am your servant. He says, David tells him this, verse 7, he says, don't be afraid. Ooh, aren't you thankful that though our God is great and powerful and there is nothing like him in, in all of, of, of existence, he still lets us approach him without fear. He instead, he says, come boldly before my throne of grace. And so here he tells, David tells Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. I and I've got intentions for you. I've got plans for you. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you, whoo, all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Wait, wait, wait. The same Saul that tried to kill David over 21 times? The same Saul that turned his back on God and started seeking out help from witches? The same Saul that ultimately forfeited his right as God's man? David tells Mephibosheth, you didn't earn this, but I'm going to give it all to you anyway. So I'll give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you, check this out, I love this, and you will eat with me 
at my table, at the king's table. Now, here's how you know Mephibosheth was, was crippled still, mentally, emotionally, in his own self-esteem, because he bows his respect and he claims, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? But David doesn't speak to Mephibosheth. He turns to Ziba and he tells him, you're going to farm the land, you're going to take care of the land, you're going to hook this boy up, and then he tells him this, and from that time on, Mephibosheth a regularly at David's table. How? Just like one of King David's own children. Whoa. I love the shift here. Because if I know anything about Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is a day that helps us really grasp and understand our need for mercy. Mercy. Michael, come here for a quick second. Come here. We used to do this back in the day. Come here, Michael. We used to, we used to, we used to play, remember? Yeah, go ahead. Bend the arm. Go ahead. Yeah, you remember? Uh, uncle, uncle, no. Mercy, mercy. Okay, anyone else ever do that? Anyone else crazy like us back in the day before we had cell phones and we had to f find other ways to entertain ourselves? Hey. Mercy. We, we, used to, we used to cry for mercy, okay? Uh, especially if we did something that, that we deserved punishment for. I mean, that's really the concept behind mercy. I deserve punishment. Would you please abstain from punishing me? I need mercy. This is what, they, what the, really the day of Yom Kippur is for the Jewish people. They're seeking for mercy. Today, I want to focus on something that the Jews don't fully grasp. It's called the grace of God. The, the grace of God. And, and let me give you this first point, because I see this in the very first verse. David said, is there anybody from Saul's house that I can show kindness to? Anybody that I can just, I can be gracious to? And so here's the first thing I want to tell you. God's grace will always find you first. It will always find you first. I, I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, where does grace actually begin? And I, I see it here in this text. In this text, anybody hear me? Grace always starts in the throne room. It doesn't start in your room, in your shame, and in your sin, and in your problems. Grace starts in the throne room where the king says, is there anybody I can show kindness to? Is there anyone I can show my favor towards? Grace always finds you first. And I need you to know the king today is thinking about you. The king is talking about you. The king is planning some things for your future. So when David said, is there anybody I can show kindness to from the house of Saul? God leads him to a man who doesn't deserve it at all. I want you to understand that if mercy means you're withholding what, what I deserve, the punishment I deserve, then grace means I'm going to give you something you don't deserve at all. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. I know this isn't deep, but this is just the difference between these two terms. Mercy means withhold that punishment I deserve. But grace says, let me give you something you haven't earned, that you, your name doesn't entitle you to, where you come from has nothing to do with it. I just want to be good to you because that's who I am. This is what grace, we seek after mercy, but grace comes seeking after us. And it starts in God's throne. And this is why the Bible tells us, I'm not saved by what I do. I'm not saved by what I ask for or when I ask God to forgive me. I am saved by grace through faith. And it's not of myself. It's God's gift to me. Ephesians 2 is so clear about this. It's God's grace that allows me to find his favor, his forgiveness, 
It's his grace that allows me to enter into a relationship with the Most High God. So Mephibosheth is out in this place called Lodabar. Lodabar translated means like no pasture. It's a, it's a, it's a barren land. No pasture. No, not no pasture. No pasture. As, as, as in like, you know, the, there's no green grass. It's wilderness. It's barren. It's, it's dead. In fact, historians say about the, the town of Lodabar, the area of Lodabar, that it was really one of the most poorest and rundown cities in all of Israel. No pasture. Here's, here's the crazy thing for me, Michael. When I look at, at King David, he says in Psalms 23, the good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. So David has green pastures. Mephibosheth has no pasture. Wow. Here's all I want to tell you. Whether you're in green pastures right now or in a barren no pasture, God wants you to know he knows exactly where you are today. I came to remind somebody, everyone else can forget about you, but God knows exactly where you are. Everybody else might think, hey, you'll never amount to anything, but God already knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. God wants you to know today, they might have forgotten you, but I will never forget you. Somebody put your hands together and praise this God who has this grace that will seek us out, find us out, no matter where we are. He knows exactly where we are. And his grace will always find us first. The thing I want to tell you is this. God's grace will always carry you. I, I can only really talk to the old saints in the house, those of us who grew up on King James, okay, the KJV. Okay. In the KJV, when, when David calleth for Ziba, and he sendeth forth those to go and, 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 and fetch Mephibosheth out of, of his house. The King James fetch. I, I, I feel like I love this because we don't really use the word fetch much anymore. Right? Maybe talk about a dog, right? Fetch, right? Go fetch. But if you grew up in the South, you're from the South in any form or fashion, you use this word all the time. Go fetch me some sweet tea from the kitchen. Yeah, right? You don't, feel like you're you don't feel like you're being a dog spoken down to. It's just, it's the terminology. Go, but here's what it means. Ultimately means I need you to go and get it and carry it to me. I need you to go and, and get it because it can't get here by itself. I need you to go and pick it up and carry it to me. Somebody's going to catch this here because what I'm looking at is a full-grown man who can't walk. And I, and I see the king saying, I want to give him my grace. And so what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let my grace do what his legs can do. I'm going to let my grace carry him. Somebody hear me today. Hear me your spirit today. I love how God says this. I love how God, because he needs you to know that, that his grace isn't dependent on what you can do. His grace isn't dependent on what you can't do. God's grace is dependent on one thing alone, God himself. This is why he told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19, he said, you yourselves have seen what I have done to the Egyptians, how I 
carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. The day that Mephibosheth was summoned into the palace was the day he couldn't get there on his own, so somebody carried him into the king's presence. And every night at dinner, when he couldn't get there on his own, someone had to pick him up and carry him to the king's table. Can I remind you, you didn't go down all by yourself. So there's no way you're going to get back up all by yourself. So when you can't go any further, let the grace of God carry you. When you are weak and defeated, let the grace of God carry you. When people quit on you and ignore you and act like you don't exist anymore, let the grace of God carry you. I came to remind somebody here today. Paul said one time, God, take this thorn from my flesh. I can't deal with this anymore. I pray three times and God spoke back to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and he said my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What you need to do right now is stop crying about your weakness and instead rejoice so the power of God can rest upon you. I need some men and women in this place today to say I'm not staying here anymore. I might be crippled but I'm leaving. I might be broken but I'm leaving I might be despondent but I'm leaving I might be depressed but I'm leaving I might be weak but not by my might but by his spirits somebody tell hell today I'm leaving here somebody tell Satan today I'm leaving here somebody tell the kingdom of darkness and every generational curse on your life I'm not staying here I'm gonna be carried wherever God has for me to go I'm leaving here I'm leaving here. God just needs you to know today his grace will carry you. I don't even, I don't even want you to lift, raise up your hand and say how many times you've screwed up and how many times you've messed up God's plan. You don't have to. Yes, amen, here I am. <laughs> how many, both, both hands and a foot, Pastor. Yep, yeah. You know, I, I have royally messed up my royalty. And yet his grace still carries me right into the palace. His grace still carries me right to his table. Last thing I want to give you is this. Can you give me verse 7 one more time, Tiana? Verse 7. The king says, don't be afraid. Here's my intention. I want to show you kindness. Because I made a promise to Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather and you will eat with me right here at the king's table. Now, now, now hold up a second, hold up. Because I want this to make sense. The day that Saul and Jonathan died was the day that Mephibosheth lost his covering. He lost his covering. He's been exposed. He's uncovered. No one to protect him no one to provide for him, no plan anymore to fulfill his purpose. He lost his covering the day he lost his father and grandfather. But then look what David does. David says, you will come and eat with me at my table. Tiana, give them verse 11 real quick. Give them verse 11. From that time on, 
Mephibosheth had a different covering. Woo! His dad was dead. His grandfather was dead. But he got a new father. He got a new covering. Here's my last point today. God's grace will always cover you. And his grace will help you recover. I, I, I see this man... I see this man who woke up one morning and he was the enemy of the king because his grandfather was the enemy of, of David. He woke up one morning and he and David are at animosity. They're on completely different pages. They, they, don't even, they don't even know each other. I'm an enemy of the king when I woke up that morning. But that same day, the king decided to show me grace. And now the man who was once my enemy is now a man I get to call father. And I get to sit at his table. Can I just say this to the people in this room who feel uncovered today? You've got a heavenly father who's got you covered. I said he's got you covered. He's got you covered. And here's what David says to him in Mephibosheth. He basically tells him, look, I'm going to adopt you as one of my own sons. That means if you're my son, I'm your father. And if I'm your father, you've got a covering. You've got protection. You've got provision. You've got plans for the purpose that are on your life. That's what it means to be a father. That's what it means to be covered. And I want to tell you today, if you will just put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was given a promise from God that he would literally have, he would have brothers and sisters sisters are part of the kingdom and you and I ladies and gentlemen are the fulfillment of God's promise to Jesus and here it is if you will put your faith in him the Bible tells us he will give you the power to be called children of God somebody in this place rejoice in the truth at one time I was an orphan but now I've been adopted in fact Paul said like this in Ephesians 1 he said God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. How? Through Jesus. 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 The one who laid down his life. Gave up his life. God honored his word to Jesus. If we put our faith in Jesus, we will be called children of God. We get adopted into the family of God. I love the difference between just being born into a family and being adopted. Being born and you didn't have a choice. Being adopted means you got picked. Someone picked you and said, I want. That's not to disparage you the one. It's just so you understand what God has done for you. He chose you. He picked you. He wants you in his family. But David doesn't stop it. Just let me cover you. I love this because this really is the whole understanding behind Rosh Hashanah. Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, um, uh, the Feast of Sukkot that's coming up here in just five days, this understanding of all the Jewish festivals and holidays, they, they celebrate. What they're doing is they're celebrating not only the goodness of God but and, and God's favor on their life, but they're celebrating the fact that God will give them back everything they've lost along the way. I don't even have time to talk about the Shemitah year. Sorry for my, my Hebrew today. But, but in the Shemitah year, especially every seventh seven, which is seven times seven, 49 years, into the 50th year, and I'm already doing it. Forgive me, Lord. I don't mean to do this. But in the 50th year, it's called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, 
you get back everything you've lost along the way. All debts are canceled. Anything that, that, was, in, that was taken from you or that you had to forfeit has been restored. This is what I'm trying to get you to see about Mephibosheth. Because not only did he have a seat at the king's table, but the king recovered everything that was lost in Mephibosheth's life. So David says to him, he says, look, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to give you back all of your father's land. I'm going to give you stuff you didn't work for. I feel like I preached this last week. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you things you did nothing to earn. Where are the people in this house here today that simply say, I may be crippled, but I'm about to step into something the king has prepared for me. I might be weak, but I'm going to step into something the king has planned for my life. I need somebody to rejoice today. And when you wake up tomorrow, Declare what grace says about you. Grace says, I am a child of the Most High God. Grace says, I have been bought with a price. Grace says, I am an heir of salvation. Grace says, I've been purchased by God. Grace says, what Paul said in Romans 8, if I am a child of God, then I am an heir. Not just an heir, but joint heirs with Jesus. I will share in his sufferings, and I will share in his glory. I'm a joint heir, Christ. So being a child doesn't just simply mean you're covered. It means maybe something your parents lost. Generations before you forfeited. Being a child of God means he won't just cover you. He will also recover you. Make sure you have everything that was lost along the way. Come on, I'm looking at men and women. We've been dropped. I'm looking at men and women that know what it is to fall hard. And sometimes it was, wasn't someone else's fault. Let's just look in the mirror. I did this. I dropped the ball. I messed up here. But I hear the voice of the king telling you, you will always have a seat at my table. I hear the voice of the king telling you, and I will treat you just like one of my own sons. Michael, I'm going to have you play Mephibosheth for just a second. Uh, Brett, come here for a second. Can I get you, Brett? I'm going to use you, Brett. And uh, let me see. I just want to... Tommy, can I borrow you for a second, sir? Tommy and Brett are going to represent my King David's sons. Strong and handsome. Manly. Amen, amen, amen. I better hear some wives celebrate. Come on, somebody. Amen. Sorry, Michael, you're going to represent the, the, the little guy who, who's, been, who's been crippled. Gentlemen, would you do me a favor? Would you do me a huge favor? Would you just kind of sit around this table together, all of my sons? Just yeah, sit on these steps right here. It's fine. Just sit at these steps right here. Michael, sit right here in the middle right here. Sit right there in the middle. Just sit at that table. Sit at the table. I got you. I should have thought through this illustration a little better. There we go. Sit at the table. I want you to see something real quick. I want you to see something. From your position, from where most of you are sitting, all of my sons look handsome. All of my sons look strong. Uh, all, all of my sons are seated at my table. What you can't see is where they're weak. I need somebody to hear me in your spirit today. This is what it means to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. 
it means that he took me from my weakness and he put me in a place where all you can see is his goodness i said it means my it means you can't see my weakness it means you can see his goodness you can't see my weakness you can see his kindness you can't see my problem you can see his provision you can't see where i've messed up where i've been dropped where i'm hurting all you can see is his favor and grace I'm sitting at the table with some of you that are strong, some of you that got it all together, and I'm seated at the table with some of you that are crippled and broken. But when we sit at the master's table, I can't see your feet. I can't see your weakness. I can't see your problem. I see your position. God has placed you there as his son, as his daughter, as his child. Somebody put your hands together and help me praise the God who doesn't see our weakness. He seats us in a position of honor for his glory, for his name. Hear me now. My point is just simply this. You might have a weakness, but at the king's table, we can't see it. In fact, I want to tell you like this. Wherever you are crippled, that's exactly where the heavenly father is going to have you covered. He's going to have you covered. All over this room, can you just throw up your hands with me? Because instead of focusing on the people that dropped us, let's focus on the God who carries us. Let's focus on the God who sought us out. Let's focus on the God who brought us to his banqueting table and his banner over me is his great love. Somebody in this place, throw up your hands and let's praise the Jesus who has done the same for us. Just like David did for Mephibosheth, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost in a place called Lodabar. Jesus came to give us the right to be seated at the king's table. And Jesus is the one who's going to share his kingdom with us. All over this room, can you stand your feet and just in a mode of worship? I need you to know, thank you, gentlemen, I need you to know what David did for Mephibosheth is what Jesus has done for us. Michael, your feet were under the table. You're, you know where my sins are, Michael? My sins are under the blood. Woo! Oh, yes. My, my, my sins are beneath that, that cleansing flood. Mephibosheth's weakness was under the table. If you will surrender to God today, he will place every one of your weaknesses, every one of your struggles, every, literally everything in your life that makes you feel less than and unworthy. God will put those things under the blood of Jesus. And not only is my sin under the blood, but guess what I'm covered by? I'm covered by the blood. The blood of Christ has me covered. So when God looks at me, listen to me, God doesn't see my sin. God sees the blood of Jesus that has me covered. I'm covered by the blood. I didn't even talk about this, but the Day of Atonement really is a bloody day. It's our goat year. You've heard me talk about this before, and I didn't do it purposely. But two goats on the Day of Atonement are brought to the high priest. And one is the Lord's goat. He brings that in 
beyond the most holy place, into the holy place, beyond the, the veil to the most holy of holies. And there he, the, the blood of that goat is sprinkled on top of the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat is what it's called. That one man once a year going before the presence of God today. And then what happens is the second goat publicly has the high priest lay his hands on him and he transfers all the sins of the people onto that goat. He's called the scapegoat. Oh, now you know where that comes from. You thought you're, you were just always the scapegoat for your family and for your boss, right? No, it came from this. All the sins of the people transferred to that goat and that goat is then led out into the wilderness, which is a symbol of this. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. But I need you to see that on this day, this bloody day, the people's sins are covered. But only for a day, Rev. Only for a day. Because it starts all over again tomorrow. According to the law. But according to grace, Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Miss Autumn, this next part comes from the Passion Translation just for you. Verse 9, and there is still much more to say of God's unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Ooh, grace, ladies and gentlemen. So, if while we were still enemies God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son then something greater than friendship is ours now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life how much more will we be rescued from sin's domain and even more than that we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God all because of the king of kings and the Lord of lords Jesus Christ himself I came to tell you you can keep focusing on the people that dropped you or you can focus on the one who is carrying you right now upholding you right now seeking you right now redeeming you right now interceding for you right now and if I know anything about my Jesus he will take that adversity in your life and he will use it for your advantage. Ooh. I have watched him time and time again take the people who meant evil towards my life and dropped me, stomped on me. He took that. He took that adversity and he turned it into my advantage. You know what I love about this story? I got, I got to finish. I'm sorry. I got, to, I got to go, right? I got two minutes. You know what I love about this story? Anybody love a comeback story? Anybody love a good comeback story? Well, all those comeback stories. When you look at this, you could say, Mephibosheth, comeback story, bro. He got everything back that he lost. What a great comeback story. And you're right. Everything he lost was recovered. Everything. It wasn't his fault. But he got all back and then some. What a great comeback story. I actually heard Bishop Jake say this. So Bishop Jake said, but you know what else? Don't miss it. The reason Mephibosheth can have a comeback story 
David had a comeback story. David knows, knew what it was like to be completely negated. All of his brothers were brought before Samuel and lined up and said, of my seven brothers, one of these is going to be the next king of Israel. And David was left out in the field to keep tending to the sheep, completely forgotten, negated, like he didn't even exist. Some theologians believe that David was actually the product of, of, of an illicit relationship. Like, like, we don't really hear much about David's mama, probably for a reason, okay? He might have been the product of an affair. I don't know. All I know is this. David knows what it is to lose everything time and time again and come back again. Can I speak to those you have lost something? You've been dropped. You've been wounded. You've been wronged. You've got a comeback story. Because every single time you came back to God, God restored what was taken from you. Now, here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. Let's not stop at your comeback story. There's somebody sitting near you that's been dropped, that's been wounded, that's been harmed, that's gone through trauma, that is hurting today. And if you would just be willing to act like David and say, let me use my story as a, as a mode to help you with your story, as a reason to help you. If I can come back, you can come back. If God can restore what I've lost, God can restore what you have lost. And I want to tell the people in this room today that are sitting next to somebody who's in need of a comeback. What Jesus did on the cross was the greatest comeback of all time. He gave his life, laid it down, and three days later, he came back from the dead. And if Jesus can come back and you are in Christ, then you can come back from anything as well. All over this room, just with our eyes closed. Father, I thank you today on the day of atonement someone say atonement say it again say atonement on the day of atonement yom kippur yom meaning the day kippur meaning to atone on the day of atonement i'm standing in your presence this doesn't happen every year ladies and gentlemen this is, there's no coincidence that on this calendar day on a sunday we're in the house of god and it's also the Day of Atonement. Wow. Thank you, Lord. You already had this planned before the foundations of the earth that we would be here today. And here's what atonement simply means. If you break it down, it just means to be at one. At one. At one again. Literally, sin ripped me away from God. But atonement means that God is now at one with us again. We are now covered by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and at one with God. I want to tell everybody in this room, Romans 3, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God or his glorious standard. Now look at the screen. Verse 24 says this, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God because they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. 
shedding his blood. Maybe you didn't know this, but Jesus was a righteous Jew. Jesus kept the law, fulfilled the law. That means Jesus observed the day of atonement. But Sister Nancy, Jesus did more than just observe the day of atonement. Jesus fulfilled it. He did what the blood of goats and rams and bulls and sheep could, could not do. He made them unnecessary because his blood is enough. His blood is enough.